the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report. Glad to have you with us today. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stahlecker here with Chad Robichaux, and we have a very special episode for you today. Uh, One of my political heroes, and it's hard to find a political hero, but one of the men who has been in the political arena for a long time, uh, doing the right thing, standing up for Real conservative values is a man that has represented all of us well, even though he comes from the state of Texas. Representative Louis Gohmert is with us today. And without further ado, we're going to jump into an incredible interview. He is a U.S. congressman from the great state of Texas and currently running for the attorney general in the state of Texas. Congressman, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us today. Appreciate it. Oh, great to be with you guys. I've always liked Chad and Jeremy. <laughs> well, we're not the band, but, uh, you know, we share a name, so <laughs> it works out great. Oh, man, really appreciate it. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in our world, of course, and certainly in our country and in politics. And one of the strange things about politicians is that we elect people to represent us that we don't always know a lot about. And uh, we were happy to have the opportunity to talk to you today a little bit about your story. Um, You have served as an attorney serving, of course, in Congress. Before that, you served in the United States Army, which we always joke is similar to being in the military when you serve in the Army. It's very similar. It's it's not the Marine Corps, but it's very similar. And, uh, we appreciate your service. Um, That's a great line. Yeah. But when, uh, when we look at someone like you who's given their life to public service, um, maybe tell us your story. Tell us where you came from, how you grew, grew up, what propels you into yeah. the things that you do. Okay. Born and raised in Mount Pleasant, Texas. Well, actually born in Pittsburgh, Texas, 10 miles Hmm. away. And uh, then raised in Mount Pleasant. Uh, The town was great to me. Uh, I was active in just about everything that Mount Pleasant High School had. Uh, Loved sports, lettered in three different sports, including football. But uh, went to Texas A&M, had done well on the SAT, was part of the honors program at A&M, and uh, was in the Corps Cadets, ended up being a brigade commander, uh, was a distinguished military graduate, distinguished student in just about every activity there was there. Got pushed into an exchange program I didn't think I could go on, but the director of the Memorial Student Center pushed me into it. I'd had two years of Russian. So I ended up in a, uh, for a summer in the Soviet Union as an exchange student. No kidding. Wow. That, yeah, that was an incredible <laughs> education. And wow. uh, anyway, uh, I had an Army scholarship at A&M, which meant I was going to have a minimum of four years active duty. Uh, served, well, 
let me say this. Everybody I knew that had signed up for infantry in the Army ended up in Vietnam six months mm. after graduation. Right. And I was willing to go do that. I couldn't tell you what my draft number was because I didn't care. I was going into right. the Army. Uh, but then they pulled everybody out of Vietnam before I graduated, and we were called in. The scholarship guys called in by the Army colonel and told, uh, we don't know what the new volunteer army is going to look like, so we need you guys to take uh, a break before you start going on active duty. Go get a graduate degree, get an MBA, whatever, and then we'll right. bring you on active duty. Right. I said, well, I was thinking about law school at the end of my four years if we were not at war. They were saying, go now. I applied to Baylor, got in. I loved how good their trial program was. Finished law school. It was good to me as well. Class president there, won the mm. moot court competition, which was a free trip to London. Won uh, best brief, got some money for that. One uh, article for a law review article I wrote, I got some money from that. Yeah. So Baylor was very good to me yeah. at law school. I finished, and I didn't know if the Army would bring me into infantry as I originally signed up or bring me in JAG because I just finished law school. Well, I got my orders and I was going into JAG, but at Fort Benning, Georgia, which is the home of the infantry. So uh, it was kind of funny being at hmm. Fort Benning uh, there in Georgia. People would say in Georgia, well, what do you think of it? I said, I feel like I'm right at home. It's right, just like right. home. And they go, right. no, but you're from Texas, right? Yeah, I'm from Texas, <laughs> but it looks like this in East Texas. Yeah. So anyway, I was there four years. We were not at war. I still think we should have gone after Iran when they uh, took our hostages, mm. attacked our embassy. That's an act of war. But President Carter didn't do anything. And as yep. a result, we suffered for years for his in inaction. Uh, but then yep. after I finished four years, we weren't at war. And so my wife and I wanted to come back to Texas. Uh, I, uh, she was kind of thinking Dallas, but I told her I lose my Christian witness in Dallas traffic. <laughs> I don't do well in that kind of traffic. So uh, anyway, Tyler was a good in-between fit for us. Mm. And we both had two job offers, the only two places we talked to. Uh, others were willing, but those were the only two places we talked to. Fantastic offers. We moved to Tyler. I had no interest in running for office. My mother through the 80s, um, she had a brain tumor, but she was just mm. a brilliant person. And she was saying all the way through the 80s, you know, you'd make a great judge. That was after she got over the disappointment right. of my choosing a law school instead of medical school. <laughs> uh, but she said, you know, you'd make a great judge. And I went, mother, I don't want to be a judge. I make a lot more money than judges. Uh, some of these lawyers are not very good. I don't want to have to sit around and listen to these bad <laughs> lawyers uh, for a living. But uh, after the tumor took her in, in 1991, I'd been thinking about what my smart mother had said, and uh, I had a civil trial coming up in a district court there in Tyler. Uh, we'd had a hearing, 
trial coming up in about 10 days, got a call from the judge, the first Republican ever elected in the county. Uh, He had never been able, nobody had ever been able to beat him for over 30 years. Mm. And he calls and says, uh, say, that was a mighty fine looking woman you had in my court the other day. You think she'd go out with me? (laughs) Well, it was my client and she was probably 40, the judge 69. Wow. if you're not familiar, it's not appropriate for a judge to date a that's, litigant before that person that, comes that's to not okay. trial. Yeah, it's not appropriate, not a good thing. So I never brought that up when I ran for judge, but I tried for six months to find some Republican that would run against him. Couldn't find anybody else to. Uh, if you're gonna file it, then it was in December and by Thanksgiving, my wife and I both had a piece about it. This is, I think, what I'm supposed to do. Uh, so I ran for a job that was going to pay about a fourth of what I'd made the yeah. year before I ran. Yeah. And that was quite an adjustment. People didn't give me a snowball's chance of winning, but I ended up defeating the incumbent with 70% of the vote. Wow. And so I thought, okay, this is my lot in life to be a judge. After being on the bench, oh yeah, and then at the end when I was thinking, I I may need to legislate. I I don't know that I can stay on the bench. Yeah. I may need to change the law and you you are not supposed to ever legislate from the bench. Sure. I wouldn't do that. Sure. But I was concerned about some of the laws in uh, the, coming out of the Congress. So then I get a contact from my friend from A&M. He was a senior when I was a freshman named Rick Perry, wanting yeah. me to, wanting to appoint me to finish a term as Chief Justice of the 12th Court of Appeals. And I wasn't so sure about that. I'm going, uh, I don't know. And they said, no, we need you to do it. And I said, but you had a good applicant. No, he withdrew. And I said, well, call him and tell him you need him. The state yeah. needs him. Yeah. I said, no, we've done that. He can't leave his law firm in the lurch. And I said, well, I can't tell you today. Let me call back tomorrow. And the next day, my wife and I had a piece. This is what we do. This is how I finished my judicial career. And so I called back and said, okay, I can do it. But I just looked at the application. It's like two inches thick. It'll take (laughs) me forever to fill all that. I I don't know that I can get it done for the end of the term. And I was told, just put your name on it and send that back, sign it, and we'll take it from there. (laughs) So, So that's what I did. I got appointed and finished that term as the Chief Justice of the Court of Appeals, and then uh, ran for Congress, got yeah, elected. Wow. That was in 2004. And I really never had Attorney General uh, on my bucket list, not something I'd thought about ever doing. But in December of 2018, I had been shown evidence of voter fraud, of election fraud, in Dallas County in both the primary and general election. Mm. And having been a judge, having reviewed applications for warrants, signed warrants, turned some down, uh, never been reversed on a warrant, it was my opinion 
there was probable cause to get a warrant to seize the voting machines, the software, the laptops, mm. the flash drives they'd used for the early voting. And uh, from that, then you could have a case built. And I thought if our attorney general will pursue this, then he could be a national hero because he'll get all the fraud rooted out. We'll be able yep. to show states like uh, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, swing states. This yep. is where the problem is, and you can fix it. You'll save the integrity of elections. And for some reason, Paxton just never would pursue yeah. it. Yep. He went after smaller stuff and got some indictments. But, I mean, this is the future of the country at stake. And yep, he didn't right. pursue the important stuff. And I began to get uh, concerned about some of his inaction on other things. And then when in uh, 2020, the governor signed a mandate, an order that included up to six months in jail for any violation, I'm going, man, the AG should have gone to the governor and yeah. said, you can't mandate people not go to church or do this yeah, or that. Yeah. You know, that's unconstitutional. Let's work this out so that you don't order something unconstitutional. Yeah. And then that way we wouldn't have, I wouldn't have to sue you in court and we could get it done constitutionally. But that never happened. So I felt like the order went too far. And then there have been orders since then I had concerns about that I felt like the legislature should have done something about have been allowed to or should have but one of those was election laws and we saw in 2020 the governor issued some orders about early voting and things that changed election law but not through the legislature mm. well that violates the u.s right. constitution right. it has to go through the state legislature so I was disappointed that our attorney general didn't bring that to the governor's attention. He's the lawyer for the government, uh, state government, but those things didn't happen. And as I got more and more concerned and I saw what happened in, in 2020, uh, I knew we needed somebody good to run for attorney general. And I'm at a point, I know the Paxson camp had thrown stuff out about, oh, I got talked into running so that uh, from by the Bush family, by Paul Rove, so I could throw the election to George P. No, when I get in a race, it's to win it because I right. feel like I'm the one that has the most to offer and can do more to fix our problems. That's why I got in and uh, we, uh, but I didn't get, some say you should have gotten in last summer. Well, last summer I was thinking about it and, uh, you know, the filing wasn't until late November and early December. And I heard that Trump was thinking about endorsing Paxton. So I called him and I said, look, there's a lot you don't know. Uh, I think you'd be better off not endorsing anybody in the attorney general race in Texas. I'm thinking about running, uh, but you know, there's just a lot I don't think you know. And he said that uh, Paxton had been calling him three or four times a week for several weeks, begging mm. him to endorse him. And I said, well, you must not know, but 
his seven top people that he hired because they were extremely intelligent, people of integrity, conservative, Republican, and he put them in those positions. Well, they had felt like uh, that after a fair that he had had that his mistress got fired, so he was trying to get her a job. These are the allegations. And uh, that he got a donor to give her a job. She said she had a hundred grand a year. Yeah. And he gave her a job for a hundred grand a year, but then he was asking for favors from the AG. AG was using his office to help the donor. And uh, anyway, these allegations were put into a letter that his seven top people sent to the FBI saying, our boss has been, we believe, engaged in bribery, abuse of office, and corruption, and needs to be investigated. Well, I know that Paxton's been telling people it's all over. I'm not, uh, I've been exonerated. Well, if he'd been exonerated, I don't think the FBI hmm. would still be talking right. to witnesses. Right. And right. they are. Yeah. That's what I'm being told uh, by people that are involved in the case. Not FBI. They always say no comment. But, <laughs> They've been uh, doing that a lot lately. Yeah. yeah. But Especially today. <laughs> well, I'm sure you're aware there's a lot of corruption in the U.S. Department of Justice. Mm. Some have gone, sure. but there's still some there. And that told me that they were going to wait until after the primary to do it politically to affect right. the election, mm. wait, let him win the primary, and then indict him for crimes. And that would be at such a time, it would be a fatal blow and throw the election to the Democrat. And so back in early November, I thought, well, I think that he won as big as Abbott and Patrick back in 2018. I voted for him in 2014 and 18. And I looked back and saw he had won with between 58, 59 percent wow. in 2014. But he just barely, he had 50.56 percent mm. in 2018. He had dropped about eight points. And I knew if he's indicted uh, that he would lose. I felt like even if he wasn't indicted, the Democrats would beat sure. him up sure. brutally with evidence of what had gone on, and it would just smell so bad he wouldn't be able to survive that. Sure. And we have got to have a conservative attorney general who will enforce the law. Uh, so I felt like you know, gosh, he's got seven, eight million dollars in the bank. I got to have at least a million. I talked to people and said, if you don't have a million, you don't have a chance. So having talked to people, prayed about it, wrestling with it, I made my announcement. Okay, I'm willing to run for attorney general if I can just raise a million dollars a certain day. Well, we raised, we got a million in commitments. We've gotten a million in the bank. Mm. And uh, so I'm running, yeah. but it's, it's still a grave concern uh, that Texas is at risk because of the Attorney General's private actions, and we cannot afford to lose the AG's office 
to a Democrat when we have our four biggest cities in Texas controlled by Democrat DAs that will not pursue any Democrat for any election fraud. Right. And so we have to have an attorney general right. that will pursue that. We need an attorney general who will uh, take legal action to ensure we can secure our border. And I know what the Supreme Court said in the Arizona case that state and local law enforcement are not to enforce immigration laws, but I believe we should put people down on the border and instead of doing what they are now and just point, there's the border patrol, go to them. They don't let anybody come on and touch Texas soil Mm. uh, without being turned away before they ever touch Texas soil. And make sure you direct them. We can't enforce immigration laws, but there are five ports of entry. You've got to go to one of them because we're not letting you come onto Texas soil unless you do. That hadn't happened. Now, Paxton has taken some uh, legal steps that I would have taken. But one that he became a national hero for because people didn't understand how wrong what he did was. But he sued some swing states for changing election law by other than the state legislature. And um, I'd gotten a call from Attorney General over in Louisiana two or three days before that saying, we're trying to find a state to sue the swing states Mm. that didn't change election law anyway, but through the legislature. And we sure don't want Texas to file that suit because your governor changed a bunch of the laws. So we need a state, not Texas, because if Texas files it, then it's going to be thrown out. It's going to doom the lawsuit. Interesting. But uh, we were talking, we talked for a while about maybe having Alan Wilson, getting Alan to file it on behalf of South Carolina. They didn't change any election laws except through the legislature. legislature. And so uh, two or three days later, Paxton files it because uh, he needed to change the narrative from all the allegations about the affair and the corruption and whatnot. And boy, Republicans all over the country thought, wow, this guy's great. Well, some of us knew he doomed that lawsuit just selfishly trying to change the narrative he did that. He changed the narrative, but he doomed the lawsuit. You have to have clean hands in order to sue uh, yeah. another state, and you can't have done what you're suing them for doing. So those are things all contributed to uh, my decision to, to try to raise money and get in. I've gotten in, and uh, we seem to get good news most everywhere we go. Yep. Uh, True, True Texas Project notified me this week that their board unanimously voted to endorse me. And uh, anyway, as the president said, she I didn't know uh, I was told that you were definitely not running. And I know the president. I think he did an incredible job as president. Mm. Um, But. He did endorse people like McCain and Romney. There were some people he shouldn't have endorsed. He hired people like Christopher Wray to head the FBI, and I wish he had checked 
I helped him on some folks, mm. but he didn't ask me about Christopher Ray, or I would say, I would have told him, oh, you're not aware, but he is on record as telling Comey, he wants to be anywhere Comey and Mueller are, they're his heroes, and Trump should never have yeah. picked a guy like that to FBI. So he needs some help. Um, he needed some help on the endorsement for the current AG. He just didn't know all that went on. Yeah. But uh, I'm running, putting my whole career future at risk to try to save Texas yep. so that Texas can save the union. You asked yep. for my story. Yeah, and there's my story. I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is mightyoaksprograms.org. Well, we're, you know, it's uh, it's interesting to hear you outline that because we're at a time yeah. in our history where we need people with your story to stand up and to follow that trajectory because it'd be easy for you to say, I've done so many things that are significant. I don't need to do anything now. I've done my piece. Um, but to stake your lifetime reputation on something that needs to be done, it has to be done. Um, Congressman, that's why, you know, people trust you. And that's, uh, that's why, you know, I think we're all very hopeful that this works out the way that it should well I um, because this is that. what we need very right kind. now very yeah. kind i've got i gotta try and it looks like uh you know we got a great shot at being in a runoff and then winning the runoff uh you know it just it looks good yeah that's great great it sounds like you're doing it for the right reasons that's what we all appreciate yeah well, that's right thank you well some other issues that really got me fired up and thought, man, if I'm AG, I can do something about that. To have the Attorney General of the United States declare parents who want a mm. good education for their child as domestic <laughs> terrorists. Yeah. Well, if the federal government tries to come to Texas and yeah. come after people that just want to present their side of the story yeah. to a school board, and the federal government's going to try to treat them as terrorists. Uh, we're going to have a battle extraordinary yeah. in court because I will do everything I can to keep the federal government from becoming that Orwellian yeah. entity that Biden is turning it into and Merrick Garland is helping 
And I believe Merrick Garland sat there and lied to me when I asked him questions in a hearing. I believe Christopher Ray sat there and lied to me in a different hearing. And I've got some serious problems with the yeah. U.S. Attorney General's office. But if I'm in charge of the Attorney General's office in Texas, we're going to follow the law. We're going to That's follow good. the Constitution, both Texas and the uh, federal Constitution. And by the way, the Texas Constitution mandates that all ballots must be paper and sequentially numbered. Why our attorney general hadn't done more to enforce our own constitution, which could have corrected a lot of problems in our own uh, elections, I don't know. But another thing that's really bothered me, there's some things that he responds quickly with an opinion on. And there are people that want to play God with our children, change their yeah. gender, yeah. get involved in gender mutilation. Uh, yeah. And and there was an opinion asked for from the attorney general, and it took him about four months instead of a week, about four months to come back with a decision that yeah. makes no sense. And yeah. by the way, another problem I have with him He's not very effective in court. He files some of the suits I would, but I'm used to winning in court, and he has not done a good job. When he had the best side of the case and should have won cases, and uh, one of those was when eight of the Court of Criminal Appeals said the Attorney General cannot, uh, cannot prosecute people for election fraud, election yeah. violations. It's in the law. The Constitution allows for it. And they come up with some lame reason like he's part of the executive branch and that can't be prosecuting. Mm. Where did they get their civic right. training and their law degree? They, they're supposed to be somewhat intelligent. So we've got to elect some different court of criminal appeals, justices. I know Paxton has asked for a rehearing and they ought to give it and they ought to change the stupidity of their prior ruling. But regardless, I've been talking to legislatures, legislators from Texas about the need to change Texas law. We may have to make a, a quick amendment to the Constitution through the voters uh, if the Court of Criminal Appeals doesn't change some of who's there and they don't wake up so that the amendment would make clear to even people that aren't as smart or as they should be on the Court of Criminal Appeals, yep. they'll have to do the right thing. But we have got to have an AG that goes after corruption and voter fraud, election fraud, because it's not being done in our biggest towns, biggest cities. Yeah. Yeah, Chad and I were talking uh, on a show last week or the week before about some of the things that the, the U.S. Attorney General is doing and has done, and, and, and Chad mentioned specifically um, that issue with parents who are raising concerns before school boards are now domestic terrorists. Yeah. It's just, it's insane. Yeah. Oh, we'd be in court. I would have to have Merrick Garland come to Texas court, federal or state or both, and we'd have to have it out there in court because it is outrageous what that man has done. And he's turning the Constitution upside down, and that just cannot be allowed. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's beyond uh, government overreach. It's, uh, it's criminalizing and weaponizing. 
you know, parts of our government against the people. Yep. And, you know, one of the things that scares me, and Florida's AG took some action. Uh, Paxton hasn't taken enough action, and I would do more, but uh, on this issue of censorship, now, I keep pushing to completely do away with Section 230 so that all of the online entities that are censoring and, and taking people off the Internet uh, that they would have to answer for that and they'd be subject to lawsuits and subject to class ass action, m massive lawsuits, and they get a few billion dollar judgments against them. I think that it would uh, certainly help cut down on their, uh, their actions against the U.S. Constitution. People say, oh, but they're private companies. They can <laughs> censor who they want. They're private companies that are protected by the United States government. And if they're willing to give up their uh, immunity from liability, then yes. sure, you can censor anybody you want to, but you're gonna be subject to class action lawsuits. Yep, that's right. And so I feel so strongly, we got some in the US Congress that think, oh, well, we'll just tweak it a little bit. No, you can't tweak that. They'll always use a loophole to, to censor anybody they want to. They have got to, in fact, we had a hearing and one of the tech giants uh, director said, and he thought he was being really cute. He says to me, we just want to be treated like your Fox News. And I said, exactly. <laughs> Fox News can be sued when right. they do something wrong. You can't, so thank you. You need yeah. to be treated just like that, and I want to see you vulnerable to lawsuits <laughs> like Fox News is. Thank yeah. you for that point. And he realized he really screwed up to say that. Yeah. If they want to be editorial, let them be editorial. That's exactly right. And suffer the yeah. consequences when you do. But eliminate the immunity from liability. No exceptions, just eliminate the immunity from liability. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, you've got cases like uh, my good friends Diamond and Silk. Diamond huh. and Silk told me that they paid extra money to Google to come up more often in search results. And they paid extra mm. money for that. Yep. And yet what they found out was an algorithm was used that sent them into fewer search yep. results, sent them further down the pile. Well, for anybody else that wasn't immune under Section 230, that would be called fraud, and they would be subject to a lawsuit. You can't charge somebody with yeah. some action and then take exactly the opposite action to hurt right. them. Yeah, you right. are going to be subject to a lawsuit for that. Well, they're immune right now until we eliminate Section 230, and that's exactly what we ought to do immediately after taking the majority next year. Yeah, yeah. I, I experienced the same thing. I pay, for, I pay for ads, ad space, and uh, and then they, they censor my my profiles as I'm paying for ad space. It'd be like taking my car to a mechanic and paying him to fix something, and behind the garage door he breaks something yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, and then this is me for it. So, yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, <laughs> Congressman, you were you were very involved in the Tea Party movement, and um, that's a probably a, a bigger conversation. I'd love to have at some point, but. When you look at what's happening right now with kind of the conservative populist movement, how do you 
Um, do you see a comparison between when the Tea Party movement started, when a lot of those very conservative politicians and regular people started to speak out? Do you see a comparison between that moment in time, what was happening culturally, and what we're experiencing now? Yes, except the country has gone downhill so much further uh, than when the Tea Party uh, arose back in 2009-10. But there are some parallels because Mm. the country has been awakened. Uh, People that considered themselves liberal Democrats have now realized the Democratic Party is not liberal they don't care about civil right, rights. Right, right. What they care about is amassing basically a monopoly and a permanent majority status. They're wanting to move quickly into Orwell's 1984 yeah, scenario. Right. Uh, one thing I have been quoted accurately on saying was, it turns out the only thing Orwell got wrong was the year. It wasn't 1984. <laughs> but we've even had Democrats that have said, we need a ministry of truth, something like that that will just print out yeah. what the truth is, and anybody that says anything different, you know, they can be punished for it. That's right out of 1984. Yeah. It was the ministry of truth. Yeah. Yeah, And the only thing I haven't heard the Democrats mention is what happens when you violate other than right. being prosecuted. But in 1984, of course, uh, there was another ministry called the Ministry of Love. Mm-hmm. Right. And the Ministry of Love would come pick you up and take you to the basement torture chamber yep. and torture you for hours, days, weeks, months, years until you admitted two plus two was five yep. and yep. everything else you said, and they're right about everything else, even though they were not. So uh, that's where we're headed and all too quickly. And I hear people from other states say, if Texas doesn't stand up and lead, it isn't going to happen. Yeah. And I had a few years ago, uh, three guys from Australia, and I was telling them uh, in Washington, uh, you know, some of us were talking, members of Congress, about our loss of our freedoms, our liberties. And one said, well, Louis, we don't have to worry. If uh, we lose our freedom, we'll all just pack up and go to Australia. I thought they would yeah. find that amusing. None yeah. of them smiled even. And mm. one of them said, if you lose your freedom here in the United States, China will take us over so fast yeah. you couldn't even think about getting there in time. Yeah. And I've heard that as I've been around the world. Uh, other countries, they may not like the United States all that much, but when push comes to shove, they know yep. if there's no United, free United States, yeah. there's no free Europe, there's no free yeah. England, there's no free Australia. There is yeah. no place to go to be free if we lose our freedom here. Yeah, that's right. And that's why Texas is so important. That's right. That's why I'm, I'm left being, I mean, I still will serve for another year, but I'm not running for Congress so that I can try to, well, I'm risking my career to try to save Texas so that Texas can save the union. 
bottom line. Yep. And good. saved the world. Alan West wrote the book, The Whole Texas, Hold the Nation. Yeah. And those words cannot be more They're true. They're so true. That's right. Hold the world. The Con- world's freedom lies yeah. in the balance, in my opinion. Congressman, uh, really appreciate your time, and uh, it's awesome to hear your story. Where can people follow you, follow your campaign, get behind you, uh, help you to raise more money so that you can win this election? It's very, very important. Yeah, I need help in all of the above. They go to gomert.com, G-O-H-M-E-R-T.com. And we also have gomert.net. That will route you to the same place now. Uh, So please go to the website, help out any way you can, because we need all the help we can get to try to save Texas so we can save the country. Awesome. Representative Louie Gomert, thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I really appreciate y'all having me on. Get to talk with you so long. That's great. Thank you. And really to learn so much more about Congressman Gomert than I knew before. How sad it is that we have representatives, those who go to represent us, that we know very little about. And in this case, I'm so thankful to know more about Representative Gomert, his life, and uh, really trying to get a better understanding of what motivates him. And I'm glad that he is willing to and has for his entire life stand up for that which is right. Go and check out his website, learn more about him, support him if you can. And uh, I know that would be appreciated. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We are here, of course, wherever it is you are consuming this content from. But I would encourage you to go to SalemPodcastNetwork.com, SalemPodcastNetwork.com, to find not only this episode, but many more episodes of this show and other great shows. Thank you for watching. We will talk to you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.